In one of his more recent books, a famous philosopher invites his readers to participate in a little thought experiment. Pretend like you are an alien sent from Mars. Your mission? To investigate the religious habits of the strange people who live on planet Earth. You want to find out what rituals human beings religiously observe as they try to discover ultimate meaning in life. So, you enter the Earth's atmosphere on a Sunday morning, somewhere around 10 a.m., and from above, as you hover over cities and towns in your little spaceship, you can see several buildings that have towering steeples with crosses on them. And you think to yourself, well, these look like sites of religious devotion. Perhaps I should get a closer look. But as your spaceship draws near to several of these steepled buildings, you notice that the parking lots are pretty empty and that there's not a whole lot of people walking through the doors. Huh, that's strange, you think to yourself. If most people aren't frequenting these religious sites anymore, then where are they practicing their religion? What religious sites are they frequenting? Where are they going in order to discover ultimate meaning in life? So you swoop up higher once again to get a bird's eye view. And after scanning the horizon for several minutes, you finally see a big building with a full parking lot and lots and lots of people walking in and out. So you land your spaceship in this parking lot and you walk into this building. And apparently, in this little thought experiment, people aren't weirded out at the sight of Martians. <laughs> so just, just go with it. What is this building that you're walking into? Well, the sign out front says, Shopping Mall. Hmm, this is a strange religious site, you think to yourself. But it's clearly a popular pilgrimage destination because hundreds of people are there on a Sunday morning, maybe even thousands. Just as soon as you walk through the doors, you're greeted by a large map, an usher of sorts. Or like a good bulletin, the map is there to guide you, so you don't get lost in the whole consumeristic liturgical experience. But as you study this map, you immediately notice that the regulars, they don't need the map. They are the faithful, the devout, the communion of saints who know the rituals and the rhythms, the ins and the outs of the shopping mall by heart. They have memorized the sacred space and how to appropriately process their way through it because they have done it countless times. As you venture further into the building, you start to, to, uh, to take notice of the design of the building itself. Like how there are windows on the high ceilings, but no windows on the walls. And the light coming through the windows in the ceiling it gives you a sense of like vertical transcendence. The space itself is trying to help you feel reconnected with the heavens. But the absence of the windows on the walls, right? It shuts out all of the distractions of the horizontal world. And this gives you a sense of sanctuary from all of the hustle and the bustle of the outside world. <laughs>
As you continue to make your way through the mall, you notice a plethora of side chapels. Nordstrom, Banana Republic, Old Navy. One of these little side chapels, Cinnabon, even seems to be offering up incense because the smell is magnificent as you walk by. And you decide to venture into one of these little side chapels, apparently named after the great saint Eddie Bauer. In this little sanctuary, you immediately see life-size statues of slender-looking human beings with various articles of clothing displayed on them. These statues, these mannequins, are clearly summoning the human beings to become imitators of them, to bear their image. There are even pictures on the walls of attractive human beings, icons of sorts, right? These attractive human beings are wearing the clothing of the store. These icons are giving you a glimpse of the good life, a glimpse of human happiness and fulfillment. You conclude that in the attempt to find ultimate meaning in life, Human beings buy the sorts of things that will make them look just as happy and just as attractive as the people in these icons, in these pictures. So you decide to buy one of the relics on display, a sock cap, because it is Wisconsin, after all, and it's freaking freezing outside right now. <laughs> So you grab this sock cap, this holy relic, and you make your way across the room to something called a cash register, which has to be the strangest altar you have ever seen. And even though the teenage priest behind the register looks incredibly annoyed, <laughs> she takes your monetary offering nonetheless, and she does her little ritual. Soon enough, the relic is bagged and back in your hands again. What was merely displayed before you before, moments ago, now is in your hands. Then the priest, she tells you to have a good day as you go forth from the chapel, like how a deacon would invite a congregation to go forth in peace at the end of a church service. You put the sock cap on as you get back into your ship. Even though the relic on your head is nice, you are confused as to how it's supposed to help you to discover the ultimate meaning of life. You fly back to Mars and you report to all of the other Martians that, contrary to popular human opinion, the religious impulse is, in fact, live and well on planet Earth but it is a strange religiosity that human beings have cultivated for themselves. My friends, there is no such thing as being not religious. People today pride themselves in deconstructing their faith and deconverting from their religious upbringings. They are happy to have left all of the messiness and the outdatedness and the narrow-mindedness of institutional religion behind. 
while I'm sympathetic towards them, I have to say that the only thing that these folks have deconstructed is their self-awareness. And they aren't deconverting from anything. They're merely trading out one form of religiosity for another, converting from one act of devotion to another. Because here's the thing, you can leave a denomination behind, and you can leave your church behind, and you can even leave your God behind, but you can never leave your religiosity behind. For the religious impulse is hardwired into each and every one of us. At the end of the day, we all end up worshiping something or someone. We all end up making a God out of something or someone, and we give our life to it. As Bob Dylan once said, you've got to serve somebody. The question is, who or what will you serve? Who or what are you choosing to worship? When people stop participating in organized religion, like when they stop going to church, religion doesn't just magically disappear from their lives. It doesn't work that way. No, they simply end up elevating something else in their life to that divine status. Kick God off the throne of your life and something else will immediately rush in to fill the void. For some people, their marriage or their family or their social status, this is their religion. Others have made a religion out of their career. That becomes the thing that defines them most in life. For others, it's politics. The famous psychologist Carl Jung once said, actually said on several occasions, that the state, the government, had become the religion that most people blindly adhered to during his lifetime, and he wasn't wrong. Nowadays, technocratic consumerism is the religion that most people blindly adhere to, at least in our country. The modern person pays obeisance to their cell phone screen more times a day than a nun prays to her God. People like Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos have become the high priests of a new Catholicity. And millions of people have a cult-like devotion to the products these high priests are providing. I shop, therefore I am. I mindlessly consume, therefore I am. I click like, therefore I am. If others don't click like on my Instagram posts, I might as well not exist. I have to laugh <laughs> every time someone says to me that they don't go to church anymore because they don't want to be indoctrinated or brainwashed. The last person who said this to me didn't even look up at me as they were saying it. Like, they were too busy scrolling through their social media feed to look me in the eye. So yes, yes, please go on. Please tell me all about how not religious and not indoctrinated you are as you frequent your social media feed more than a monk frequents the call to prayer. Tell me all about it. <laughs> My friends, the word religion, it simply means relinking or reconnecting. 
So whatever it is in life that we're using to try to deepen our connection to the cosmos, whatever person or thing we are using to try to cultivate a deeper connection with ourselves, this is our religion. The thing is, is that people today are so unhappy because they're trying to get out of their spouses or their careers or their money or their accomplishments or their experiences or whatever. They're trying to get out of all of these things, the sense of wholeness, the sense of completeness that only God can give. The writers of the New Testament tell us that Jesus came into the world to save us. The word for save in the New Testament, it also, most of the time, also means wholeness. Jesus saves us by making us whole, by bringing us to completion. And not only are we made whole, but we are also enabled to embrace the whole. When we get into the habit of focusing on God, it's like we go from portrait view to panoramic view in life. It's not just our relationship with God, but our entire life that suddenly comes into perspective. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said that I believe in God much like I believe in the sun? Not so much because I can see the sun, but because by the sun's light, I can see everything else. With God, everything in life suddenly finds its harmony, its proper integration. St. Irenaeus once said that this was the entire point of Jesus' incarnation, the entire point of Christmas. Jesus sums up everything within himself and he restores us to wholeness. This is the salvation that awaits us at the end of our journey to Bethlehem. When Christ is born into my life, all of the discordant strands of my life are woven together. And God becomes like the hub in the center of the wheel that holds all of the various spokes together. Our relationship with God is the thing through which everything becomes relinked for us, meaningful for us. As that great mystic Nicholas of Cusa once said, God alone is the complexion omnium. God alone is the all-encompassing integration of all things. And when I give my heart to God, when I let Christ become birthed in the manger of my heart, when I get in the habit of frequenting this Bethlehem, this house of bread, this all-encompassing integrating reality becomes a powerful, powerful force in my life. My friends, the point of the incarnation, the point of Christmas, isn't that God became incarnate in one baby, in one person. The point of Christmas is that God became incarnate in the whole universe. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is right. Without God, everything in life is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. But when we learn how to see God in all things and all things in God. 
everything not only becomes meaningful, but we start to see that God is the meaning behind all things. Everything suddenly becomes as holy to us as the bread and the wine up on the altar. Everything becomes the Eucharist to us, the real presence of Christ to us, God's kingdom come to us. But the only way, the only way to have our eyes opened to the Eucharist out there is to make it a habit of meditating on the Eucharist in here.